0: This is the Education Gadfly Show.
1: That is the most inside baseball thing I think has ever been said on uh, this podcast. What? And uh, this is a can, pretty inside Mike baseball What does
2: Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming our two very special guests for this week, the Batman and Wonder Woman of education reform, Mike McGee and
3: Nina Reese. <laughs> Thanks for having
0: us. <laughs>
2: hey, thank you, Mike. Welcome. Also joining us, Fordham's own Alyssa Schwank. Thanks,
1: Mike, and I'll take Supergirl.
2: Supergirl, very good. I love it. Hey, for those of you uh, living under a rock, Mike McGee is CEO of Chiefs for Change. He is calling into the show uh, remotely from his secure office uh, or bat cave in Rhode Island,
0: uh, right? Is that right, Mike, Rhode Island? Yeah, I'm about to get a, get on a train and leave my home state, but yes, that's where I am for the moment.
2: Okay, and Nina's here in the studio with us. Nina is the CEO of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. All these CEOs, should I be a CEO? I really like being president instead, uh, although I have to say another thing, Donald Trump has ruined.
3: Or if be CEO and president.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. I I could try that. I could try that. Well, we have a very special show today to celebrate something quite momentous. You know what it is? The news that the current administration is thinking about eliminating the Office of Innovation and Improvement.
1: Okay, Nina, this is an outrage. (laughs)
2: I'm just kidding. That's not what we're here to talk about. But it is an
1: outrage. That is the most inside baseball thing I think has ever been said uh, on this podcast. What? And oh, this we is can, a pretty inside Mike can baseball make it sexy. podcast. Oh my gosh!
2: It, it, this this is our legacy. Nina and I started this office. The best, still the best office in the U.S. Department of Education. How can a Secretary of Education? who loves school choice and innovation, kill the office that Rod Page set up to promote school choice and innovation.
3: Exactly.
2: (sighs) But no, that is not the topic. (laughs) We are here to talk about National School Choice Week. Let's do it in Ed Reform Update. All right, Nina and Mike are here to join us to talk about National School Choice Week. And what I want to know is how you are feeling. Are we feeling optimistic about the school choice movement? Pessimistic, worried, concerned? And I don't want any spin. You know, Nina is so well-trained at media training. She she is just, uh, so, you know, so no bull here, people. I want to know you truly, honestly, how we should be feeling as a movement this year with National School Choice Week. Mike McGee, you want to go first?
0: Uh, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, I would say, Mike, that on the whole, I genuinely do feel very optimistic. And I, I think that, as we all know, uh, change will always have its enemies, and changing America's public education systems is hard. But I think we've got so many examples now of systems that have changed dramatically and have really used charter schools as a vehicle to expand access to quality learning, uh, particularly for kids who are historically disadvantaged and need it most. So as I look across Chiefs for Change membership, there's so many exemplars of cities like Indianapolis, Denver, Washington DC, um, that have used charters to expand access to quality in really effective ways, um, and have done it in a way that's also built, you know, I think some real consensus um, w- within their communities. So it can be well, done, I- it's not easy, um, but I think we've got some blueprints and some models now um, that other uh, cities and states can follow.
2: All right. Well, well, that, that, that part makes sense. I, I, I can buy that we've got a handful of models. I'm a little less uh, sure that we've got lots and lots of examples. And even some of these models are backsliding. I mean, Denver, where all of a sudden the, the district seems much less interested in starting charter schools, is putting out these performance reports that are overly rosy. You know they're losing student population because of the changing demographics in Denver, and uh, and lo and behold, now that they're not a high growth city, they're not so in favor of charter schools. And then you got DC with its graduation rate debate, uh, and a morass uh, scandal. Mm. Uh, you know, so this shining example of a district that was responding to charter, uh, you know, charter expansion in positive ways, which it has in other ways as well. But still, it's it's blemished. Uh, so, anyways, Mike, you're wrong. We should not be optimistic. We should be pessimistic. Isn't that true, Nina?
3: <laughs> 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 well, I, I'm also optimistic, Mike, but I agree with you that there's a lot more work to be done. I think we've done a fairly good job of expanding our choices, primarily in inner cities. Yeah. We now have about over 6,700 public charter schools serving a little over 3 million students every day, but there's still millions of families who are waiting for their chance to attend a public school of choice, in particular a charter school, since that is the best form of public school choice. All
2: right. And a what lot about of, quality? I mean, so we've got well, all these schools that mm-hmm. that that's good. Hey, we believe in parental choice here at Fordham. But there are always concerns that some of those choices, well, they suck.
3: You are right. But let me just finish what I was trying to say earlier. I think a lot of these families actually are not in inner cities. I think we have a lot of work to do to make sure that options are available yeah. for the rest of the country, students in rural communities that only have access to one school right now. So ways of addressing that and i don't know that what we're doing as policymakers and as advocates to really push the envelope yeah. on this front as for quality yes we should be closing our bad schools and just this last week ecot the largest provider of uh online education in ohio finally in the closed country. the in biggest school in the country, it country. It finally closed this door mid-year unfortunately it's not good yeah. to close these schools at in the middle of the year but it was very symbolic that the state auditor was finally able to close the school thanks to your good work well, in Ohio, Mike. And many others, including yours. But but look and, and this
2: was momentous and this school did have terrible performance and its leaders for years made huge donations to the Republican Party in Ohio and and really you know was a, a log jam to any kind of reform happening there. So this, this was big. It was not good to see the school closed mid year. That's not great for all the kids in that school. But it is a sign that the charter sector is serious about quality, but again by you know, but you just said we Need more options in rural areas, and a lot of people, including Secretary DeVos, point to online schools as Mm. as the solution for rural areas. So So. I will
1: throw in as a student who grew up in a rural area and took part of her high school online because her class didn't have options. Like it can work. We do get back to this quality issue, but like it is a huge place where we can start expanding and looking at school choice as something that there isn't a lot of, and we need to have more of.
2: Hey, uh, you look. A lot of people a year ago were worried about what the you know having a president Trump and a Secretary DeVos in favor of school choice would mean for the movement. Uh, what are you guys feeling on that, uh, Mike? You know, I'd say especially on, on the left and left of center of Democrats that support charter schools, has this been a tough year? Or are we in better shape than we expected?
0: You know, I, I think, Mike, that um, the, the critical conversations around charter schools, um, certainly in the places where I work our local conversations. And we've seen plenty of examples over the years of where the federal government can have some influence on the conversation about reforming schools. But the truth is, it has always paled in comparison to the power of the political conversation locally. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, as I look at my members who serve about 7 million kids around the country at both the state and the local level, um, the ones who have been most successful in terms of driving meaningful change over a sustained period of time have engaged in really deep ways with their communities and the political constituencies in those communities and built some real consensus for intelligent reforms, including around schools school choice.
2: Yeah, but are, I, I don't know. Aren't the two of you, I, I don't know, should we be worried that we've got what is likely to be a Democratic wave coming uh, and that that means you're going to have Democrats at you know running for governor, running for mayor, city council, all these different seats who may be running against, certainly they're going to run against Trump. They may, in some cases, run against Betsy DeVos, and they may run against school choice and charter schools.
0: Well, we, I mean, we, do we, do we should that? be, I, I think we should be worried to the extent that we don't have a message that resonates. And I think it's got to resonate with key political constituencies around your state and in your cities. And I would say on charter schools, Mike, if the conversation we're having is a qu- is a conversation about whether to open a charter school or to close a struggling district school, that is the wrong conversation to be having in this political environment. And it's not a conversation that will lead to the expansion of quality choices for the kids who need them most. Okay. And so at Chiefs for Change, one of the things we've been talking about with our members an awful lot is really reframing the conversation around choice and making sure that we emphasize the things that parents and members of the community care about most. Quality is absolutely one of those things. If you're going to dramatically expand choice, you've got to provide some assurances around quality. You have to provide assurances around equitable access and around equitable funding. If, if For anyone who's been involved in these local political controversies around expanding choice, you know that the fight is around the perception that access to schools is not fair, and the perception that funding is not fair. And it takes real visionary leadership and really strong communication to assure families and the public that what you're building is going to be high quality, that everyone's going to have a fair chance to access that quality, and that uh, opportunities are going to be fairly funded. And there's systems building involved in that, but there's also a really important communications element to that work. And I think where we've seen the most effective expansion of quality choice options, we We've seen leaders who, you know, are driving a strategy like that.
2: Yep. All right. Well, good. Well, oh, Nina wants to get the last word in here. Yes, Nina.
3: Just very quickly, I think it remains to be seen if they will have an impact on the midterm elections uh, when the unions in Los Angeles, for instance, connected the charter school movement to Betsy DeVos and Donald Trump that did not end up actually sinking the odds of the reform minded uh, school board members to gain the majority of the school board in Los Angeles. So I think it depends on the quality of your candidates, how devoted they are and how much the unions are going to play in this game. Yeah.
2: Yeah, But it's going to be, look, it's, it's going to mean, you know, having reformers win some of these primary races is going to be critical. I guess we'll know that in many cases by Mm -hmm. the spring. It's only by the summer, and we'll be watching it. All right. Thank you, Batman and Wonder Woman, for coming on the show. Mike McGee and Nina Reese and a happy National School Choice Week to everyone. Thanks so thanks much for Mike. having us. All right. Thanks, now Nina. it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Hey, did you see Wonder Woman? I did. And and are you disappointed? It didn't, it didn't get nominated for any Academy uh, Awards.
4: I didn't realize that, but it should have been. I think it was great. And it was um I don't, I don't know if she was a great actress or any of that, but it was a cool script, I'll say
1: that. I had issues with the script, but I did like her. But <laughs> well, this I don't know. is the problem. I guess people That's did right. not come to did not agree. There's so. a there's a lot of good movies in this Anyway, She's got Oscars a really mix. cool theme song. You remember that how it goes? It's like so cool.
4: When she comes out with her her lasso and everything.
2: All right. Well, I'm excited. Yeah. Look, I, I you know ha- having young children means I have seen almost none of these movies that people are buzzing about. <laughs> Maybe I can start watching them. Aren't
1: online. they close to thirteen? Like PG thirteen is really just a guideline. Uh,
2: yeah. We have taken them to a few Star Wars okay. and things like yeah. that.
1: Well, uh, Star Wars is just yeah. but they're not Want to go
2: to Academy Award kind of movies? Uh, uh, have you met
1: children? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I did used to teach here. All right,
2: all right fair enough. Okay, <laughs> Amber, right. what you got for us?
4: Well, you know we're doing this event this week on Discipline and I really needed to read a study by one of our presenters so mm-hmm. that's what I did did my Excellent. homework uh, it's a new study out by UPenn Scholars that examines the type of disciplinary practices used in the school district of Philadelphia and factors that impact whether schools are adhering to the district's goal of reducing suspensions wait a minute we that
1: did sounds a study familiar. on Philadelphia we did school
4: reform. this is school the sort of reform. qualitative component to that yeah. mm-hmm. okay? uh, I'll say it's mixed methods because it also has a pretty big survey component alright use a survey data from all schools in. the School District of Philadelphia in 2016, but relies heavily on over 80 interviews with principals and teachers, four focus groups, and multiple site day visits to a handful of schools. Okay. Okay. Uh, Most of the research was conducted over 18 months, between January 2016 and June 2017, several years after SDP, the school district, implemented various discipline reforms. Specifically, in 2013, they revised their code of conduct by barring suspensions for all kindergartners, which is, we would say that's pretty sensible, right, kindergartners? Mm -hmm. Uh, But also for all low-level offenses across grades. I think this is the one that's been a little bit more divisive. Um, So, in other words, if you did things like you broke the classroom rules or you used profanity, Instead of, you know, that being optional for a out-of-school suspension, they now require that those things must result in a less severe consequence. All right? Mm -hmm. They also penalize schools that overuse OSS in the district school progress report evaluation process. I don't know what that means. I dug for that, but apparently Mm. there's something that happens in the report card when you overuse OSS. Okay? Okay? Uh, In addition, training in the PPIS model of discipline, This is the one that relies really heavily on rewarding positive behavior. Okay. Okay. Uh, Was provided in more than 30 elementary and middle schools. Mm -hmm. And then some high schools, again, not sure how many. I kept looking. But anyway, some high schools also received training in restorative practices with a focus on mending the damage caused by poor behavioral choices. Okay. Mm -hmm. Key findings. Number one, qualitative data show a clear divide between how principals and teachers view discipline, including OSS. I mean, it was if you haven't read this, like, it is so jarring. Mm-hmm. Principals and teachers disagree about the appropriate use of suspension and the goals of the district's climate initiative. That's kind mm-hmm. of the language they are using. In general, principals believe that OSS is detrimental and agree with the district that schools should be moving away from them. Teachers are far less likely to express these views overwhelmingly. They believe that suspensions play an important role in maintaining order Mm -hmm. and ensuring student learning. They report feeling isolated, unsupported, even undermined Mm -hmm. by administrators when they find that a student needs to be removed. You read some of this focus group and interview data with teachers. They talk about students saying sexually inappropriate comments, cursing at the teacher, Mm -hmm. harassing other students, um, and they report these things and in their view they were not handled properly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number two, lest we think this is just a handful of teachers and focus groups, uh, the survey data I mentioned that was across the district, it had about a 57% response rate Mm -hmm. Um, and it's largely supported the qualitative findings. 89% say OSS is useful for sending messages to parents about the seriousness of infractions. Mm -hmm. 85% Mm -hmm. say it's useful for removing dysregulation of students so that others can learn. Just 28% say that the negative impacts of OSS outweigh any possible benefit.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And then I'm um, almost finished. Analysts use the survey. Then they do this kind of cool thing where they use the survey data to try to characterize schools in buckets relative to how they pr- approach discipline. And they basically, it's kind of exploratory, but they basically found like 41% of schools can be classified as what they're calling under-resourced and non-cohesive. Um, and that means they're inconsistent in how they use punitive or non-punitive practices and teachers feel blamed by administrators relative to how students behave. About 31%, so a smaller portion, are characterized as collaborative and relational, right, mm-hmm. which just sounds really good. Um, they tend to have the lowest percentage of poor students, mm-hmm. and they're located in more advantaged neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Finally, they find poor penetration of PBIS practices in the schools implementing it. Um, the staff report they're doing the best they can to implement it, uh, but they overwhelmingly say they need more staff, uh, more eyes and ears on the ground in their building to help them. Um and so, anyway, then I looked at what what is what's the recommendation after these reporters mm-hmm. spent so long in the schools and the analysts? Surely
2: they decided sure. that we should stop doing this because it's not working. Uh, is that what well, they decided?
4: Not exactly. Uh, they they think that we should shape discipline relative to the school context. All right, so you can't can't think about this the same relative mm-hmm. to how mm-hmm. what schools are struggling with. Um, that teachers and leaders need to do a better idea communicating a vision. Okay. Uh, but they conclude that also teachers need more training to understand the harms of of exclusion.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh, uh, what are the harms of exclusion? Do we have well, good research on we that? We do not. Uh, we oh, do not I mean, all the research we have on corrala- the
4: school, prison, pipeline correlational. Is correlation. A lot of correlational,
1: but
2: look, and, anyway, I, I,
4: wow, uh, depressing uh, picture though. Seriously, it, it, it is a sobering. Tough
2: I, problem. It, it is a tough problem, and I get it that you know the the researchers. Uh, want to help a district like Philadelphia uh, succeed if they want to reform school discipline. And and look, I know, I know that there are, look, we don't want to over-suspend kids, uh, and we do need to worry about kids losing learning time. And I think it's absolutely true that if you see a school, high school, middle school, that is suspending tons of kids, yeah. it is almost surely an indicator something's very wrong well, with that mm-hmm. school and needs interventions. But to then say to those schools, so all we're going to do is tell you you can't suspend kids anymore. Right? right? Yeah, what do you Not to... replace the principal, not do a school turnaround, not I don't know close the school down in mm-hmm. some cases. I mean, you're just turning it into a nightmare scenario, which is, yeah. you know, what the teachers are are experiencing firsthand. And mm-hmm. look, I think we need to be viewing this as flashing red lights. Right. That the people on the front lines are saying this is not going well.
4: Yeah, it's not going well. No, I mean, I, I agree, especially when you just I mean, this is the type of research we don't often get, yeah, um mm-hmm. and when when you're dealing with sensitive topics like this, um and just to see even the research themselves say over and over again, there's a divide. there's a divide, there's a divide. Yeah. And so maybe it's not just let's continue to. Um, you know, tell teachers like you need to get on board with this. Yeah. Why aren't you on board? Why aren't yeah. you on board? Yeah, uh, when they're mm-hmm. the ones in the classroom. You know, I taught high school in a very challenging district, and and I think you're right. Like it, a lot of this depends on the leadership too. You know. mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah maybe it is maybe you need some changes at the top some different mm-hmm. leaders but here when you have them just not on the same page like I don't care I mean listen yeah. you can attest this if the principals and the teachers are on the same page I don't care what the reform is mm-hmm. it's going to be an
1: uphill battle when you yeah. don't have them the leaders and the teachers on if the you're same not page. speaking the same language it's just not going to get implemented mm-hmm. because somebody is going to obstruct it from getting implemented whether it's from a lack of understanding or a lack of buy-in mm-hmm. and it's not going to be as effective as it could be and,
2: and I'm glad you know let, let Let's get specific, too, about these low-level offenses. If a kid, a high school kid, let's say 16-year-old, drops the F-bomb on their teacher, right, which is what we're talking about in a lot of places, that should not be okay. You know, and there are people who argue, oh, well, we need to be culturally sensitive or we can think about what's happening in the kid's life. Right. That is the soft bigotry of low expectations, yeah, okay? Right. And we have fought that academically. That's we got to right. fight it behaviorally so and, and say, about hey, that's a big deal. And, and how and, and would you parent... feel if
4: that, you're that teacher, yeah. Mike, right? Like, you feel like you're undermined, you're not respected by the right. other kids. Like, I, I, I just I just try to think about that teacher, too. I get all the policy implications, too. But, like, there's just a real, like, one-on-one relational aspect yeah. to this of, like, if you want, and this is a relational, and this is what all the research mm-hmm. says, yeah. it's about relationship building. Mm-hmm. It's exactly about relationship yeah. building how can you relationship bill when you allow
1: kids to cuss at your face and say, okay, no problem. I do think though, I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about like the classroom management practices. And it sounds like PBIS wasn't being like fully implemented and understood. Um, Just like, when you're at that point of that mm. fight and that interaction in the classroom is happening like you've already lost that room as a teacher mm. and so just like what's happening mm. on the front end and I think there is like an area that could use a lot of focus
2: well I I have a, a good deal for you uh, Alyssa you can learn more about how it's happening on the front lines by right. tuning into our event on this on Thursday, Thursday. at 4 o'clock right. or, uh, or you can come in, person, or come in I, person which I will be doing which Alyssa right. good.
4: and I'm hoping we find common ground Mike on this because yeah. it's, it's easily you know, we peel off on our corners, but I do think there's, there's some there there and we just really need to find that. And, and, and all agree that this is a problem and there's something to be done and let's not just be, you know, That's right and that's wrong. Okay. We'll we'll find the common ground. I I know we will.
2: We will try. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Amber. Well done. That is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm Melissa Schwing. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off.
0: The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.